0: This is Season 3 of the Done Deal Football Podcast. And in this season, I'm going to be talking mainly about my football industry and covered course I did on YouTube um, towards the beginning of this year. And I touch on loads of interesting topics including football transfers, player contracts, boot deals explained, what goes into an image rights contract, FFP, player football agency, third-party investment, etc. I hope there's loads of good content for you to get stuck into. And as always, let me have your comments, your feedback. And I very much hope you enjoy it. Happy listening. So um, what I wanted to do was uh, probably just talk through the structure for at least like, 10, 12 minutes or something. And then hopefully when I've done that and we talk through some of those ideas, then we're going to hopefully give through give some aspects to give some answers rather to the the questions that um, you're starting to send through already, which is, which is great. So um, football transfers, it's impossible obviously to talk in too much detail in 10 or 15 minutes and we'll get there with the questions, but I really wanted to delve into probably three specific topics. That's what I'm going to try and do for each of these sessions is talk about things in threes. Um, So the first area that I'm going to uh, touch on is, What actually is a transfer fee but more importantly what a transfer fee is is what's the difference between the fixed and contingent um, elements of a transfer fee Um, so we'll talk about that in some detail talk about how installments actually work usually in transfers too. I think after that uh, the second point we're going to talk about are sell-on clauses and those um, effectively are clauses which are put into transfer agreements whereby if the player then subsequently moves on then the selling club will receive a certain percentage of that that transfer fee. And the third thing I want to touch on as well is um, the free transfer era um, that Jean-Marc Bosman more or less brought in in the mid-90s. And that's where free agency becomes the norm. Um, Quotas became illegal and players benefited from their ability to be in a much stronger negotiation position. So something to... um, Uh, think about for the rest of the session i would be really keen on everyone's thoughts on the live chat is um, let me know what you think um, your uh, best all-time Bosman transfer has been I'm not going to give away too many examples that I think have been pretty good and there's a Liverpool fan I think there's probably a couple of very good ones too but yeah start racking your brains and start giving me a little bit of um, uh, info or your answers to what you think the best ever Bosman um, transfer has been and then when we come back to that in about 5 or 10 minutes we'll go through some of those answers. So um, number one was what is a transfer fee? Now ultimately um, a transfer fee is an agreement between selling and buying club um, in relation to uh, releasing the player from his employment contract with the selling club and then effectively being able to subsequently register that player. Um, with um, the new um, football association or the new um, club um, and that club entering into um, an employment contract with that particular player. And I think the thing without skirting over lots of things, I don't have a huge amount of time, but wanted to get through a few elements is um, discussing the difference between um what are fixed amounts, i.e. guaranteed amounts that are due under a transfer agreement and contingent payments, which are effectively payments which are contingent um, subject or conditional on a particular type of event happening. And the, the example that I usually to try and give for this um, is Philip Coutinho when um, he eventually moved from Liverpool to Barcelona um, relatively recently and the the thing that always gets that I always find interesting, especially in the press, the way the press re, um, report stories is, I believe at least it was reported that um, Coutinho was bought by Barcelona for 146 million pounds was the reported amount. And I think obviously when you see that back page spread, which is Coutinho sold for 146 million pounds, I think a lot of people will will think that on that day whenever the transfer happens or within a few days of that transfer happening, that Barcelona will pay to Liverpool 146 million and that will be it. Now, that's not the reality usually of um, a lot of the deals, the vast majority of deals that I see. Um, And it's usually struck in such a way as follows. There's there's two bits. One is the the fixed and contingent elements. And the second is usually a lot of even the fixed elements, i.e. the guaranteed amounts um, are uh, paid in installments. So if I just give that... Phil Coutinho um, example again, if um, the, the headline figure is 146 million pounds, usually at least what was reported by the Liverpool Echo at the time was that um, uh, Barcelona would be paying um, a set fixed amount in four instalments and that fixed amount was supposed to be around the 100 million pounds mark. So if those hundred, uh, if, uh, 100 million divided by four, obviously 25 million pounds a season, um, it was reported that actually um, Barcelona were paying a fixed guaranteed amount to Liverpool of 25 million pounds per season. The remaining 46 was reported to be in relation to all of these contingent, all of these conditional payments which were probably related to Barcelona winning La Liga, Barcelona winning the Champions League, but most importantly also that player fulfilling um, a certain amount of appearances. So, what can sometimes happen on these contingent or um, conditional payments is even if the club fulfills that particular condition, if the player hasn't actually really um, influenced or made a big difference for that season, i.e., by not appearing, sometimes that contingent payment won't necessarily be paid. So, that's the first thing, which is ultimately what we're talking about with Catinio, even if the headline amount was 146 million pounds. If you actually break that down, and Barcelona didn't um, um, ex- uh, didn't actually win anything, and didn't have particular performance and um, uh, contingent payments that were um, that were crystallised, Liverpool on a, um, a yearly season basis were only going to receive twenty five million pounds from a perceived one hundred forty six million pound deal. So I think that's the first thing that's important to note, which is play um, uh, transfer fees are usually split between conditionality payments and obviously fixed fees and then the next element which is always the case is that those payments are usually even if they're guaranteed are usually paid in installments. There are exceptions to the rule and some clubs pay up front maybe to get a discount on the transfer fee etc but on the whole um, it's still the case that um, transfers are paid over installments. Um, the the next point, the the second point that I wanted to uh, mention was um, in relation specifically to sell-on clauses. So um, sell-on clauses um, are becoming more common, I think, in a lot of ways um, for lots of different reasons, um, but especially because of. You know, the prominence of um, a number of clubs selling on what might be their prized assets, not maybe wanting to sell them. But actually, if there is the um, added benefit of if that player goes on and does very well, that there could be a very big transfer to actually occur as a result that um, I've seen some selling clauses which can be between 10 and 25% potentially. So that means that when a selling club in the transfer agreement agrees with the buying club, that as well as providing a certain amount of money um, by way of transfer fee, that there is an agreement that if that player transfers on um, while after being out to the buying club, then the selling club will receive um, a certain percentage of that amount. Now, um, where it can get a tiny bit complicated, interesting, um, there can be different bargaining positions at play, um, relates to just a couple of examples I was thinking about um, in preparing for the matter, uh, preparing for the matter, preparing with the video now. And um, the first was actually the example of Gareth Bale when he was at Spurs. Um, and um, sooner rather than later, Daniel Levy understood that he was probably going to be moving to Real Madrid. And at the time, Spurs had bought Bale from Southampton. And as a result of um, the transfer agreement between Southampton and Spurs, there was quite a significant um, sell-on clause, which would obviously have meant that if Spurs then sold bail on to whoever it might have been and then subsequently Madrid, that Southampton would have been entitled to um, a significant amount. Now, what Daniel Levy did, because Southampton were in um, financial difficulty, was um, uh, effectively waived that um that transfer agreement um so that um both parties agreed to receive less money i think it was reported that um, southampton received 1.5 million plus a reserve goalkeeper in exchange for that um, release clause uh, sorry that sell on clause to um effectively be um uh, ended and varied and in that case, then obviously that led Spurs to be able to then um, sell him, uh, sell Bell to Madrid, and, and earn a significant amount of money. And there were a couple of other examples I was looking at as well, where I think one of the the, the biggest sell-on um, clauses uh, amounts that's been provided was in relation to. John Stones' um, almost £50 million move from Everton to um, uh, Manchester City, where Barnsley were entitled to, um, I think, between, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was reported to be around £7 million. So you can see the value that sell-on clauses can bring. Um, and that's a very important element of, um, um, of a transfer agreement negotiation and the commercial deal and negotiation that can be struck between uh, buying and selling club. And actually, on my YouTube page at the moment, there's um, actually a, a video that I did with Omar Charger, as I mentioned from twenty first club. Um, they we specifically actually talk about the benefits um, of release clauses and why that can be sometimes a lever for um, the negotiation. i e a club a selling club might accept. Maybe um, a smaller transfer fee if they believe that um, they can get more of a um, sell on clause, um, a percentage, because then ultimately in two or three years it might be um, you know, a significantly lucrative um, amount that that club can then recoup if the buying club then sells on that player to another club in the years ahead. So that's um, number two sell on clauses. So we've talked about what transfer fee is and the difference between fixed and contingent payments, and why payments are usually in installments. Talk then about sell-on clauses and why they they can be pretty lucrative and in fact very lucrative. Um, and then the third area I wanted to briefly talk about um, was um, free transfers and the the Bosman ruling. So it's funny when I was um, at university doing my undergrad degree, um, I was able to um, write my third year dissertation on the Bosman ruling and the changes to the um, FIFA system, uh, transfer system. And um, yeah, here I am few years on um, still discussing Bosman. So yeah, Bosman's probably one of the most important, if not the most important football case, um, that's come around in the last, however many decades. Um, the, the short, the, the short story is that, um, Jean-Marc Bosman was, um, a player at, at uh, at Liège and another uh, French club, I think at the time, Dunkirk wanted to, uh, buy him. And so, um, Unfortunately, the club that he was with, even though they weren't playing him or paying him anymore because his contract had expired, refused to um, um, to um, provide his registration to this new club and said that they wanted the transfer fee, even though there was no um, valid employment contract um, with the player left. So that refusal to register the player with a new club more or less brought the challenge by Bosman. That was in 1990. It was only till 1995, actually, that the, the Court of Justice actually came out with this pretty seminal decision, and the, the decision more or less was that if a player was out of contract, i.e., his employment contract has expired, um, he was able then to uh, m- uh, to be able to then move freely between clubs and between um, member state EU member state clubs at that. There was also another element to the Bosman decision, which actually related also to um, quotas. There were actually um, foreign quotas that were in place for UEFA competitions. You could sort of have a number of foreigners and then assimilated players. And that was obviously what seems obvious now, but that was against um, free movement and discrimination um, um, law. So that was another element of the, um, the liberalisation, I guess, the, of, the, of the transfer market that the Bosman uh, brought in. And I think then, as a result of that, um, the, 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 the major benefits to players is that, um, and this has really been for the very high profile ones and those that have had their contracts um, running out at different times, um, that when a club doesn't have to pay a transfer fee because the player is out of contract, the clubs can incentivize that player to be able to join them by offering huge salaries and huge signing on fees, um, simply because that transfer fee, instead of going to a club, can go to the player in a certain percentage or proportion of that by way of um player remuneration. And so what you've tended to see across um, um, the industry now, especially for the extremely um, elite players that have transferred on free transfers, and we'll talk about those in a second, um, you know, it's been um, a hugely lucrative, um, eye-opening ability for those players to be able to maximize their value when there isn't a transfer fee to be uh, fee to be paid. So, um, that's what I wanted to briefly talk about, that's 15 minutes or so in, Um, and I've seen loads of different questions that have come in, and particular elements here on uh, who are the best, let's just have a quick look to see who are the best um, free transfers that people have possibly come up with, so we've got Saul Campbell, uh, Pogba, um, Pirlo, which is a great one, um, Milner to Liverpool, Balak to Chelsea, great one. But Manaman to Madrid, to McAllister to Liverpool. Um, let's see, what else? Banker to Juve. Um, so, yeah, we've got quite a lot of ones. Lewandowski as well, which is, yeah, a really good one, I think, when he moved from, I think, Dortmund to Munich. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I agree with all of those. Um, Sol Campbell was more or less one of the biggest early ones. He was pretty contentious as well because he moved from... Um, Spurs to, to Arsenal and then obviously um, won a lot in all of those Invincible Invincible season and then um, obviously with um, with the team as well during that um, Arsene Wenger era. So um, they were the three things just, in, uh, just to recap briefly which is transfer fees and the difference between fixed and contingent and installments. The second is sell-on clauses and why they could be so useful and third is the advent of Bosman and why that's been so significant for the industry specifically for players players' ability to be able to um, excel a lot more value because there is no transfer fee for the buying club to pay and how that can actually um, work in their favor for when they're negotiating much stronger positions. So let's just have a quick look at then some of the questions that have come in. Um, We've got one from from Hilda, um, TPO being banned um do you agree that economic rights of players should not be sold so i'm gonna hold fire on that one because we've got a whole session actually on third-party ownership third-party investment in a couple of weeks um and so i want to hold fire on that but needless to say actually there are some provisions that have come in um, by fifa in the summer which effectively allow a player to be able to re-own his or her economic rights (laughs) so there is the possibility under the fifa regulations now um, query whether that's the same as under the um, Premier League or FA or EF, EFL that um, players can actually own their economic rights and then can have a particular stake in a future transfer fee, um, and whether um, that's a possibility under the new regulations. So <clears throat> that's something to consider there. Um, please comment on why EU players agree to deals with a year left on their contract carrying hefty transfer fee whilst US players never do this. This is from Stephen Ross. Um, I'm I'm not actually sure <clears throat> the question there. why EU players agree to deals with one year left on contracts. I think the idea is, I think Stephen, if, if I've got that right, it's that um, why would, players um, who are out of contract in a year agree to new deals when they can effectively be on Bosman's in um, a year or so's time and then uh, be able to get potentially much more um, higher wages as a result of that I guess it's just the negotiation and bargaining position at the time of um, um, of the deal um, it might well be that the player actually wants to stay at the club wants to negotiate a much better um, deal and as, as a player's contract winds down for even from two years to 18 months to one year And clubs are always getting more nervous, will always get more nervous simply because they won't be able to maximise a transfer fee or the transfer value of that player if the player wants to move. So a lot of the time clubs will also be thinking, you know, if a player has two years, 18 months, even, you know, 12 months left on the deal, which is obviously not, not great for the club, they'll have to be considering about whether they're going to sell them, whether they're going to offer them a more lucrative contract. And the agent's obviously in a strong position there for the elite players that have um, um, less amount of time left on their contract to be able to work out what the best position for the player might be. Obviously, the closer a player gets to winding down his contract, um, whether they then sign a pre-contract with six months to go with um, uh, another club, which is permissible under the FIFA regulations, um, there can be risks. You know, it might well be that a player doesn't. Going to form at the right time. It might be that it gets a long-term injury. There are other issues which might limit the attractiveness of that particular player, and that's always something that you've got. To, those players have got to bear in mind, and the agents got to bear in mind too. Um, Sinner, so you've got a question on eighteen four of the FIFA uh, regs. I'm going to hold back on that one because I need to have a look to see what eighteen four specifically says <laughs> before I can um, uh, comment in quite a lot of detail there. Um Mark O'Neill's made a question about, uh, explain more about the Webster decision. And have you seen some articles saying that Neymar could use this to move back to Barca? So um, <clears throat> the Webster decision is more or less um, uh, a decision based on the FIFA regulations that um, uh, relate to where players can more or less breach their contracts um, leave, uh, and leave their club and go to another club for um, a set amount of money. And the Webster case was um, uh, an interesting one because um, the CAS effectively said that um, Webster could leave, um, I think it was Hearts, uh, I think at the time, I think it was either going to Hearts, I have to remind myself in a second. But the idea effectively was, is that um, the only compensation that would be payable would effectively be the remaining amount of his wages, and that was the amount that uh, would be payable by way of his ability then to breach his contract and move to a new club. Now, ultimately, what happened in subsequent cases? There were cases called Matuzalem, De Sanctis, Diarra, and others. Um, And a different line was taken um, uh, effectively for breach of contract cases whereby actually the the, um, unamortised transfer value of the actual player um, was taken into account. And that actually meant that players could be on the hook for several million. And in in Methuselam's case, it was um, in the tens of millions of euros um, uh, position. So the general perspective tends to be that players that want to effectively breach their contract to move to another club, and there is a mechanism to be able to do that, um, you'd have to be very careful about, simply because the amounts that um, uh, clubs will pay for players are significant and the the player needs to be pretty well advised as to what the risks might be if he breaches that contract and the value that then attaches to that contract by the the arbitral body that then makes the the decision. Um, Another question by Hilda. Um, do you think that players should be able to be transferred outside of the transfer windows? Managers, for example, join teams at an interim basis to steady the ship until the end of the season. Well, th- there's definitely a question mark over um, the um, the legality of the transfer window. Now, there have been um, a variety of cases, not necessarily in um, in football, but there was a basketball case which related to I think it was in which was to do with the transfer windows, um, basketball transfer windows, and the, the general approach being is um, uh, there is a real argument as to integrity of competition that if you only have if you don't have transfer windows, for example, then the richer clubs could buy players at particular times if um, other players are out of form or you know um, effectively be able to um, buy players right up until the end of the season, as used to be the case, I think, when could buy players up to March particularly particular at certain times. Um, but the integrity of competition argument is pretty strong, which is you go in with your squad. You can change your squad halfway through the season, potentially with the, the winter window. And then you've got to keep that squad intact. And just because, for example, some clubs might not be getting relegated, might not be going for promotion or winning the championship, maybe they might have an incentive to sell their best players at particular times. Um, and that stability, obviously, and, and that integrity of competition point um, is usually quite a strong one. So um, I think there's probably strong grounds for assessing why the restrictions as to the transfer window is a pretty, um, I guess, under EU competition would be fair, pr- proportionate and um, non discriminatory don't go probably beyond what is necessary to achieve um, the aim, which is uh, the aim of the, the competition, which I guess is to make sure that you have relative equality of position once the season started, bearing in mind obviously the, the January window. So um, that's that question. Uh, seeing what has got lots of other ones coming up. Um, question about. Uh, would compensation, be? this is from Boris, would a compensation paid to a club by a player as to a sell-on clause be counted as transfer income in terms of financial fair play? Really good question. So, yeah, if there's um, a sell-on clause, that would be classed as revenue for FFP purposes. Um, It would be classed um, as uh, revenue under the regulations, and that would be a way to effectively be able to more likely comply with the regulations. Um, so, yeah, totally right there. Um, yeah, sell on clauses would be clusters revenue, I believe, under the FFP regs. Um, Vasilis, um, one question regarding taxation of transfer fees. Um, can contingent payments enjoy different tax status and also are the transfer fees taxed amortized by the club? Um, I'm not a tax lawyer so I'd have to to, um, probably defer on that point only to say um, usually I believe, um, I could be wrong is that the the idea of contingent payments um, uh, there's a good question there as to at what point they are taxed it's usually I believe at the point that Um, the amounts crystallize i.e. actually occur, but um, I don't probably know more than that, unfortunately. Um, Got one from uh George Ryan, um, does a player's brand or footballing ability hold more influence on the value of a transfer? Take Ibra, for example, huge social following potential, uh, past it ability wise controversial there on the Ibrahimovic, but yeah, it's an interesting one now because obviously, you know, for the for the club ultimately, um, the main value of a player is really going to be on their on field um, performance. That being said, there's obviously a number of global superstars. There's obviously, you know, Kieran Mbappe, for example, now um, that is, you know, undoubtedly a World Cup winner, um, probably one of the best players in the world at the moment. If he were to transfer, for example, to um, a Nike club, he's already obviously a Nike club in PSG, that would hold significant commercial advantages for um, Nike as well, um, potentially for the commercial value of that. the the club commercial value for that particular player association, et cetera. So there's, there's, there's tons of particular things from a commercial brand um, activation perspective, but on the whole, usually, the Play the, the club is more or less um going for their on pitch value now what we'll talk about in a couple of days time is to do with image rights and the, the point generally being is obviously as players become more valuable off the field as on the field what we actually are seeing is clubs paying significant proportion of the player's total remuneration for particular off-field matters—if it's making appearances, if it's using their image, if it's um, um, you know uh, exploiting um, their social um, their social voice and their social platform to be able to advertise particular club products or um, uh, club partner products. So, you know, there's no doubt that players' off-field image and value is becoming an important part of the overall commercial piece but I haven't seen any too many, too many examples of when players will be bought for their um, commercial acumen or their commercial value rather than their on-pitch um, status. Um, question from Javier. Um, from your experience uh, in a transfer, what percentage of cases of agents, uh, what percentage of cases, I'm um, I'm not sure what other percent, uh, sorry, I'm not quite sure I understand the question, Javier, sorry, um, Let's go and take one um, from Panagottis. So, how do you see the super transfer window going to work? What will happen with players whose contracts expire at the end of the June? At the end of June. Um, so, I'll take this probably as the last one, if that's all right. Um, and then uh, we'll go from there. So, yeah, we've d- I've done a recent podcast actually on that with one of the guys in our um, in our team, um, uh, Alex Harvey from the Sheridan's team. So I really want to, if you can, check out that podcast. It's the latest one on what happens with an elongated season. I think the the short answer is for players that um, have their contracts expiring at the end of June. There might be the possibility to extend them with the agreement of um, both parties, but otherwise, um, I, I can't imagine they're going to be obliged to um, to sign short-term deals. The issue, more or less, is is that if the season extends into the summer period, and then the transfer window extends into the period after, when the period where the season finishes. It might be some time before then a player's contract expires at the 30th of June can actually then be registered to sign with a new club under his employment contract or her employment contract so that's a bit of a tricky one at the moment. So um, we are at 30 minutes, I don't want to keep everyone for too much longer. Um, Thank you so much for all the questions, I'm sorry I haven't been able to (coughs) get through all of them. Um, As usual what I want to try and just do for one or two minutes if that's all right is make a couple of recommendations as always First thing I'd say is, obviously yesterday I recommended a football agent book. I'm going to recommend a slightly different book tonight, which is called um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's um, one of my favourite books. You can see from it being a bit worn that I I constantly... um, read it over the years. Um, It's by a guy called Dale Carnegie and it was actually written quite a long time ago but it has some fascinating insights generally on, I mean I'm not a massive fan of the title to be fair, but it has some great insights on how to interact with people, um, how to work best with people, how to get the best out of your relationships and there's a brilliant chapter on listening better Um, and it really changed my um uh perspective and view on how best to conduct meetings how to actually really listen to people um and how to understand what people want rather than what you want to be able to tell people so um yeah how to win friends and influence people really recommend it comes highly recommended um it's my bible on so many things of building relationships etc so um feel free to um, uh, have a read of that if you can when uh, you've got a bit of downtime over this period now as well. Um, obviously you can follow me on all my social channels, hopefully you guys know it will be on Twitter, Football Law, on Instagram, Football Law, on LinkedIn. I've got a TikTok account now, you'll be glad to know I'm not dancing on it or doing too much music but just clipping some of my um, particular um, talks that I've given on those different topics and again if it's all right, um, I'd just like to um, give a quick shout out to another the same charity, which I'll be trying to do over the course of um, the next few weeks. Charity, again, is Noah's Ark Hospice. It's a hospice in Northwest London that, um, that serves uh, you know terminally ill and really sick young kids. Um, they've got a massive shortfall in terms of funding at the moment because of corona and everything that's going on at the moment. Um, if you've got the chance to spread the word, tell people about the charity generally, um, amplify the message as it goes. I'll, um, uh, I'll tweet um, a link to um, it for anyone to be able to use, which would be fantastic. And thank you, as always, for joining me. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow, where I'll be talking on player contracts. Thanks again, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book, Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch, and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.